The World Cup on off the ball, covering the good, the bad, and well, the ugly of what's happening in Qatar. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. Subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast feed now. All right, you're welcome along. It's Thursday is off the ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock. It is another busy night at the World Cup. Uh, we have Japan against Spain just underway. Germany against Costa Rica as well. Germany must win to avoid going out at the group stage of the World Cup finals. That is exactly what happened Belgium earlier today. A remarkable game against Croatia where Romelu Lukaku came off the bench and just could not score no matter what he did in the final 15 minutes uh, Roberto Martinez has stepped down and Belgium are out we will analyse that with John Giles from Half Past Seven and then Damien Delaney is going to join us on the football show and it is the 1st of December and if it's your birthday this month I've got bad news for you because you're probably not going to play football for the Republic of Ireland and we're going to be talking about how your birthday uh, impacts your chances of success and relative age effect and maturation stages and all of that jazz just after 8 o'clock a really interesting topic for anybody who's involved uh, in coaching or in academy systems as to how so much of a player's destiny is built around how quickly they mature Richie McCormick the most mature man on this show right now mm. Yeah, no, yeah. Let's, 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 that's yeah. that's stretching it to an. You your teeth whitened, Richie. Have I? Have it's you, just the. It's you just look the like you've done that Love Island thing. You've had your teeth whitened. I've, you see, I'm on a different laptop than oh, usual. I tell you and what, got, it is. It I've is, got one of these lads here as well, so oh, that's kind of it is doing things. you plenty of favors. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You're looking well, Joe. Yeah. Whatever light Richie has, I'd, I'd invest in it. Wow, that a filter, Richie. Uh, I can't say, Joe, uh, and I'd rather you not put me on the spot. My use of filters is my own business. Uh, okay. If I feel it makes me present my best version of me, then it's fully within my purview to do just that. No, it sure is. It sure is. Whatever makes you feel good. Yeah, my filters no, make me no feel good, Joe. No amount of filters are going to help me, I can tell you. That's true. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing to say. Uh, so, could be another eventful night. I, I'm not sure it's quite going to come down to yellow cards tonight. It might. Oh. It might cool. come down to yellow cards. Who knows how Japan, Spain and Germany, Costa Rica is going to develop. I was quite shocked. And I, I don't clip this up because I don't want it getting out there. I was quite shocked that the BBC commentator didn't fully get what was going on with the yellow cards. There was this yeah, long was silence where yeah. he was obviously it was being explained to him. And then Danny Murphy says, so how many, how many yellow cards have Mexico got? Uh, you don't expect me to know that. I, was like, I, I do expect you to know that. That's rule number one because it wasn't like it wasn't uh, insane results that happened last night that this was a one in five hundred shot of it coming down to this like it was quite possible it would come down to yellow cards uh, so it just added a little bit of extra confusion it was a very very strange night at the World Cup uh, and it was a very strange day as well Joe Romelu Lukaku oh God I feel I feel a lot of sympathy for Romelu Lukaku he's yeah. obviously had a huge amount of injuries all season he's barely played any football. Comes on for Belgium. It's all set up in the second half for him to be the hero. And dear God, how many chances does one man need? It was tough. On the not clipping your criticism of the BBC, I think it's good to see that you're still harboring hopes of a job there. Don't ever lose that. Don't <laughs> yeah. give up. Yeah. Listen, I, 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 I will research the uh, all possible scenarios and permutations. It's the only guarantee I can give you. I only found it today that a red card would have been worth four yellows in the system. Yeah. Uh, a second yellow. So if Krajkoviak had received a second yellow, that would have put them level on points. So they took him off pronto. Mm. Today was amazing, Croatia-Belgium. Dries Mertens, 
I had the sound down, so maybe this was a talking point throughout the first half. Dries Mertens put in truly one of the worst individual performances I've ever seen of all time. It was uh, hands down one of the worst. Lukaku, as you said, came off the bench halftime for Dries Mertens. He's played 31 minutes of football since August. Clearly, he would be starting if he was fitter. They had to roll the dice. And as you said, chance after chance after chance. There was the initial one where he hit the post and it was difficult. He still should have scored, but his angle was tight and he had to curl it around someone to get it in. They were, they were narrowing the gap he had, the window he had, but he still probably had enough room to score and should have scored. And you wonder then, could it be one of those days for Lukaku? Mm. And boy, did it snowball. And, and, and like, thankfully for him, I think the most, what would have been the most haunting chance the Kevin De Bruyne across for the header where it was three, four year, yards out. Admittedly, it took a late-ish deflection, so he had to react to it. But he he definitely had enough time and a sharper Lukaku would have had enough time. And he managed to just head it over the bar and the look of shock on his face. I mean, just horror and shock. Thankfully for him, that's not going to be the haunting moment it could have been because the ball was just out of place or it wouldn't have counted. And then there were just I'm a sure few what others where after is far more haunting because we were actually debating out in the office which was worse. I I felt like you that the one that hit the post was was a, a degree of difficulty to it the way he was trying to bend the ball in and he yeah. couldn't have done a huge amount more. Uh, whereas a lot of the lads outside felt that was far worse than the header, which as you say wouldn't have counted anyways. Surely the one that he's two yards out, he chests it down, and he can't get yeah. on the end of the ball is the See, one that's going to haunt a, him. That's a classic. He's not fit and you're heavy-legged, and you're not sharp in your mind, and you're just not reacting well. I think if that happens when he's played 15 games this season, he just reacts adeptly, and it's the easiest goal of all time. But it's still haunting. I mean, it looks awful, and it is awful. I would definitely have the header as worse than the one off the upright. But, like, not much in between. Probably should have scored both. Certainly should have scored both. And I thought, that like, it was... Um, I don't know if you got to see, because I know you're busy putting the show together as well. When he walked off at full time, Gary Lineker had mentioned that he had been consoled by Henri. And then in fairness, the BBC dug out the footage just to defend the BBC, just to defend their honour here a moment, Nathan. They've taken an uh, awful kick your attacks. Back, right? yeah. uh, they showed, they managed to dig up the footage then of Lukaku walking straight for the touchline. Certainly did not want to be shaking hands with any Croatian players, just wanted to get off. And Henri, I suppose, fellow striker, not that you needed to be a striker to appreciate what Lukaku had just been through or, or, or what he's now facing, but Henri went straight to him and there was a long hug and then there was footage of Lukaku punching the side of the dugout and to the extent that all, the entire Perspex glass came out of the Oof. slot. And, and, and I, I'd say he's hurt his hand, actually. If we're, <laughs> I wouldn't think he's too worried about it, but he, I mean, he properly closed fist punched it, just furious. So absolutely horrendous. Like genuinely, it's, it's horrendous because he's better than that, clearly. Uh, Roberto Martinez stepped down straight after the game. Uh, no great surprise there. Uh, the inquest into this golden generation did they deliver like, no. it's going to be a hard, did they not see I wonder no. on this like, they came no. third at the last World Cup I know they should have at least won a European Championships Germany have uh, just gone 1-0 up by the way I think Serge Gnabry has just uh, nodded them in front so that's uh, Germany uh, on the road to getting into the next round they still need a Spanish win um, they have like you can't look at that team with the players that they have from front to back with one of the best keepers in the world for the past decade uh, a couple of the best midfielders They've had, you know, it depends on form, obviously, with Lukaku and a couple others, but they've had some of the best strikers. Like, they're so laden with talent that one trophy and getting beyond the semi-final should have been something that they've been aiming for and something that they've done on a couple of occasions, and they haven't. Like, 
I think without wanting to give the BBC another kicking, uh, Jermaine Genus raises a really interesting point towards the end of the game this, this evening, this afternoon, where he's talking about De Bruyne and he's saying that he doesn't see nearly enough of the ball when he's playing for Belgium and he hasn't, like watching him throughout this tournament, it's certainly a different role that he plays where he's kind of conducting the orchestra for, for Manchester City and almost everything goes through him. Whereas they weren't using them to that degree with Belgium and you kind of wonder why because he's that good that he can kind of carve open anybody with uh, with a decent pass and a decent bit of movement. Um, but they have. They've underperformed. Like, with the talent that they've had. Have they? But, I see. Aside from De Bruyne, who are the great central midfielders they have? Like, Tielemans blows hot and cold. I look and Axel Witzel has about 125 caps. Axel Witzel is bang average. Witzel's, Witzel's like, for Tongan and Alderweireld yeah. because they've been playing in the Premier League and they were very good Premier League defenders. Are they among the all-time greats? Like they're all very good players, but well, you to be beaten by be... the eventual winners yeah. in their there's last two major tournaments. There's a difference between all-time greats and being very good. And being very good at international level is very often enough. And if you manage to get a very good set of individuals playing as a team, you can make hay. And we've seen umpteen cases of that down through the years of teams who've managed to run through tournaments with a couple of excellent players and a lot of very good ones um, and Belgium you would regard as one of those like uh, the golden generation stuff is overhyped but they I don't think they've ever been in a position even looking through 86 when they got to the semis like that was a team that finished third in their group uh, and kind of ambled their way towards a semi-final where they were overhauled by uh, Argentina and beyond that they haven't offered much in a tournament whereas this was definitely a chance over the course of the last decade, not here necessarily, but definitely over the last decade, to, with the players they had at their disposal, kind of break the hegemony of the likes of, of Italy and France and Germany in Europe and Spain and, you know, provide a winning team in a major competition. And they've they failed to do that. Their choice of manager hasn't helped. Like, how Roberto Martinez got that job? Uh, is, it's is international bashing. football. What great managers are getting the big gigs? But you don't need a great manager. You just need somebody who's got a better CV than Roberto Martinez. But it's not. It's not on Roberto Martinez that Eden Hazard has just fallen off a cliff in the last. Well, he's thrown away his years. own career. I would agree but with like, that. But like that's uh, like we're building the talents of this on all of these players at their absolute peak. When you actually look at this team right now, with the exception of De Bruyne, who's actually there, and you're right on De Bruyne. You do watch De Bruyne, Joe, and. Maybe that intense coaching style of Robert of Pep Guardiola and the way Manchester City play just suits him down to the ground because particularly in that first game of this tournament you saw him burst through the middle four or five times and whereas you watch Manchester City and you almost know the movement of all the players in front of him nothing was happening at all in front of him yeah. for Belgium uh, Spain by the way have gone one 0 up against Japan so Spain and Germany uh, both sure. leading Murata. Mm. Murata with the goal all the greats uh, he did he did have one moment in the first half De Bruyne where he burst through the middle in typical fashion and played through Dries Merton and well you know the rest I've made my feelings on uh, Dries uh, clear I always thought they were overrated I always felt their world ranking was an odd anom- anomaly any times that Belgium are number one Belgium are number two I admittedly I wasn't a hu- watching a huge amount of them but I looked at the team sheet routinely and certainly now whatever about maybe when they finish third in the World Cup. Obviously, if you finish third in the World Cup, you can certainly win it. But I like I don't think um I think we need to revisit any uh sense that oh this is this this Belgium team never delivered. It was their destiny to win a World Cup. They were just that good. I think they were a good team and for Belgium they were absolutely a golden generation and the rankings were very favorable to them. And you can read too much into rankings for sure. But you like looking at that team today, if you take De Bruyne out of it, 
it's incredibly ordinary. I, th- I, th- I think we can cast aside this World Cup anyway because it was probably two sure. years, four years too late for this group of players. And they very much played like it. And the age profile, whether it's Mer- Mertens or Vertonghen or Alderweireld, like they're all above 30 now at this stage and, and so far beyond it in a couple of cases. You can't, and, and, and Hazard's last two, three years, like his Real Madrid career has been a disaster. But if you go back four or five years, you look at the team that we would have played in the Euros in 2016, certainly that is a team that should have been targeting major championships. But does that overly influence our thoughts that 3-0? Like, I still look at Thomas no. Mounier and go, no, no, no. oh, one of the great, right, Thomas Mounier, what a player. And then actually every time I've seen him over the last six years, I'm like, oh, it turned out that that Ireland team maybe was uh, quite easy to play against for Thomas Mounier that day. And he could look like the most marauding right back we've seen in world football, where actually he's, he's grand. Yeah, it's grand. I, like, I think semi-final stages, it was about their level. But they were beaten by France, the eventual winners, 1-0, edged out. Italy, the eventual winners at Euro 2020, edged out 2-1. That didn't perform exceptionally well in those games. No, they didn't. But, they were deservedly beaten in those games. But I do wonder even here in Ireland, if we are looking at that 3-0, just how brilliant they were that day. Uh, like, it was, uh, as much as it could be a pleasure to watch Ireland get hammered, like, they, 3-0, it could have been 5 or 6. If, unless, of course, we hadn't been robbed of that potential penalty earlier in the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, look, I take Richie's point as well. I, like, they're not total hype. But, um, I don't know, in, in, in 10, 15 years, I think they won't be long remembered, really. Like, for Belgium, I'd say there's a lot of navel-gazing, but they're, um, they're obviously biased. I, I don't know. Did you not always think in the rankings that their position was odd? Rank, well, rank, I'd, I'd never read into Like, we were a top 10 team at one stage regardless of how good we were results wise under Jack Charlton but we were never being like you know one of the top 10 15 teams in the world did they pull a Wales yeah. on it at one stage where they weren't having as many friendlies <laughs> so that their ranking did, yeah. would yeah. be somewhat elevated I feel like when I was talking to Joey and Doe last week and asking them about you know who was really running this Cameroon team uh, was it Rigobert Songer was it really Samuel Edo pulling the strings and he looked at me and laughed and goes why do you care so much about what's happening in Cameroon I feel like saying that. Why, why do we actually? Now that we've spoken for about Belgium for fifteen minutes, I'm like, why do we care so much about this Belgian side? Yeah, agree. Screw them. Uh, Roberto Martinez weren't very good coming, today, to, by the coming way. to a Goodison Park near you. Croatia yeah, weren't great. Croatia either. weren't very good either. By the way, oh. there was I, I, there was a moment where I think Michael Richards went into default mode because there was just Modric walking around the pitch, and he just you, you, you feel compelled to say it. So he was saying, and he's a pleasure to watch Modric just control the pace of the game today. Yeah. I, like we had just watched Belgium knock on the uh, Croatian goal for about they, 45 minutes straight they started Croatia very very nothing. bright they started very bright and then slunk back into themselves oh they really did uh, they said yeah, they I mean, like rad, the, rad good, but, but beyond that like the geez they they offered nothing going forward and i i don't know you you see what's coming out of this group tonight uh you see germany maybe hitting their straps spain are obviously in the yeah. form that they're in uh, i don't think croatia be going beyond the second round Maybe not. They are such a pleasure to watch, though. Like, they're such beautiful footballers. I, I do love watching them. They're like, they are a pleasure to watch, and they get out of such tight situations with no pace, no physicality, just uh, technique, and it is great to watch. I thought the other, um, as a last point in that game, the other really strange thing was, given the stakes and given the tension and given the fact it was quite a good game, the atmosphere was on mute, bar oh, yeah. Yeah. the big chances. It would, it, you, would, you would be like, oh, there are people there. But genuinely, it was like... A friendly and and it was I I it, I don't know is it because there's I think it's two European teams and that the European yeah. supporters generally haven't travelled the games that have had the atmosphere yeah. are involving 
the South American teams are Africa. the African or Asian teams where like the South South American supporters despite the fact they have to travel twice as far as the Europeans just go in such insane numbers all of the time anyways but it does mm. feel for a lot of the European teams it's it's very flat even watching oh, the England like, game the last night there was there was nothing nothing well, I mean this game again so much riding on it I mean possession being turned over or tackles won or refereeing decisions blown for a foul like just nothing from the crowd unless there was a sniff of a goal the crowd were fairly uninterested in any to and froing it was um it was it's slightly almost, surreal actually it's almost like qatar isn't a suitable venue for a world cup wow. uh, the news round is brought to you with gillette in association with movember effortless shave magnificent mo you can sign up or donate now at movember.com Probably your last day to do it because it's now the 1st of December. Uh, so let's get into the news round. Uh, there are goals in both the 7 o'clock kickoffs, Richie. Yeah, Germany know only a win will do if they're to avoid back-to-back group stage exits at the World Cup. They are 1-0 up against Costa Rica thanks to that Serge Gnabry header. Uh, Leroy Sané replaced Tilo Kerr for the Mannschaft with Joshua Kimmich slotting in at right back. Uh, Germany not only need three points tonight, they also need Spain to beat Japan. That game is also underway and also going in the favour of both Spain and Germany. Alvaro Morata, as we mentioned, with the goal for them. Uh, Morocco qualified as Group F winners earlier this evening. First half goals from Hakim Ziyech and Youssef El Nezri saw them beat Canada by two goals to one. Croatia are through as runners-up following that goal to straw with Belgium. And the result means Belgium go out at the group stage for the first time since 1998. And Roberto Martinez confirmed afterwards it was his final match in charge. Yes, yeah, that, that was my last game with the national team and it's, it's emotional as you can imagine. It's been amazing, it's been six years that um, we've been able to do everything that uh, you want to do in a club. We did it in a national team, makes me extremely proud and we loved um, the way that this team has played and, and is giving everyone a, an incredible joy. And the real fans in Belgium, they appreciated what this generation are doing. And it's, it's the time for me to to take, uh, to accept that this is the, the last game. So as it stands, Richie, it will be Spain yeah. against Croatia and Germany against Morocco. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to be in Morocco next week. Uh, so I'm delighted that they got through his group winners because it means it's going to be uh, at least one night of crack uh, over there next week. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a remarkable turnaround by them. They've got some really good players. and uh, Ashraf Hakimi has got to be regarded as one of the best right fulls in the world. Uh, and he's playing to that level um, so far. Hakim Ziyech is playing above himself. They've got players strewn throughout that team that have played above and beyond. And it's brilliant. Like It's the first time since '86 that they've gotten past the group stage in Morocco. So, um, yeah, absolutely delighted for them. And one of those teams, as we mentioned, that have actually brought atmosphere uh, through their fans to the World Cup, them and Tunisia, the North African sides, have been brilliant in that regard. So uh, long may they continue uh, on in the tournament because I think they've been a bonus for it. Yeah, and top the group. Didn't just get through, yeah, topped it. Yeah. So we've plenty more football coming. John Giles on the way of giving his thoughts on the World Cup from half past seven. And then Damien Delaney is going to join us on the football show from nine o'clock. In between, uh, we're going to be talking to Dr. Laura Finnegan, who's a researcher and lecturer in talent development, and Marcus Sullivan, who's the head of football at the Norwegian School of Sport. Uh, we're going to be talking about relative age effect, about maturation rates, about biobanding, uh, which is something we've spoken about before. But uh, Mike Quirk has a podcast on the OTB GEA feed, a coaching podcast, uh, and he had a really interesting episode. It was in the last week with Fionn Fitzgerald, who was the Kerry captain back in 2014. Uh, but he's doing a lot of research into all this and looking at the Kerry Academy and the results uh, 
as we know, are just so stark for players who are not born in the first three or four months of the year are players with later maturation uh, ages. So players who grow, who uh, develop that little bit later, have very little chance of making the breakthrough. And you do wonder how many players are falling out of the system that could make it at a later age if we change the way we looked at it. So that is coming up between eight and nine as well. Uh, Slowly but surely, the fixtures are coming in for the Republic of Ireland's European Championship qualifiers. Certainly are, and confirmed today that the Republic of Ireland's qualifier away to the Netherlands will be played at the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam. Ireland haven't lost there on their previous two visits, the first of which, of course, was a famous 2-2 draw. Uh, The game takes place on Saturday, November 18th of next year, and that, of course, is Ireland's final game in their group. Uh, The one thing you can take, Joe, from uh, listening to all the various experts around relative age effect is that there is no easy or straightforward answer around this of being able to get people of similar ability uh, together at the same time where they all develop at the same rate is practically impossible but we're probably doing nowhere near enough yeah are we even at the point of splitting the year into two well that was something that uh Dr. Laura Finnegan was suggesting, again, it would take a huge administrative effort as to could you do a rolling nine-month season so that it's January 1st and then it changes the next season to become September 1st so that the younger players then become the older players. It does feel, you know, we've done, I think most leagues have done that. I think certainly when I started playing, it was the 1st of September and then it became the 1st of January as it is in most places right now they're obviously going so much deeper into it now with maturation rates and looking at your height and assessing the height of your parents and being able to work out just how far along you are and like some of what Fionn Fitzgerald was talking about 13 year olds some of whom physically would be of that of an 18 year old playing alongside players would be physically that of an 11 year old and obviously everybody's looking at the one who physically is like an 18 year old and he's the one who makes the breakthrough and the 11 year old ultimately probably just drops out of the system yeah, it's funny. I was just, um, I'm sure you won't let me saying he was saying it publicly anyway. I was, I was talking to Paddy Andrews just uh, last week, a, a, not a big man. And he was saying that he was like, see the size I am now? That's what size I was at 14, 15. So I had zero subtlety, but I was able to bash my way through and he had to develop the subtlety in his game as time went on, you know. So um, I don't know. I, 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 I would think... Certainly splitting the year into two is an obvious starting point. And so many kids and so many more kids are playing sport than ever before. And like GA, so many volunteers, so many people mm. willing to get involved. I think in large swathes of the country, uh, you could um, do that. And then maybe in the less populated areas, uh, well, I guess in the less populated areas, you have a better chance of playing and getting minutes if you're younger. So, I mean, that should be... Um, relatively doable I would just think awareness you know all well, one you of just the can't talk about it enough that the coaches aren't coaches couldn't be more aware of it and, mm. and just be absolutely militant about giving the smaller kids minutes on the pitch and um, if they can just hang in there obviously they'll develop because the other the other problem as you know and I'm sure it comes up in the conversation is um, the gap between them is purely down to size initially and then it's down to, well, minutes on field, so they develop better. So they actually do become better, more technical than the smaller players. So it's a double whammy. And then they're exposed to better quality coaches because they're on the representative teams mm. of the better teams. So it's and, an absolute chasm by the time 14, 15, 16 comes around. All of the time. Uh, Film Fitzgerald did an experiment during a Kerry Academy game where they put the early maturers against each other. So the bigger players together and right. the smaller, more technical players who were, as you would say, maybe stuck playing corner forward. And 
the results now I, I think he hadn't got to the level where it was uh, fully scientific as of yet where obviously the smaller players enjoyed it much more because they were mm. some of them were playing middle and midfield they were having to take on different aspects but the bigger players struggled because they couldn't dominate the way they had they felt they'd far less time less space on the ball and that's the other problem with this that actually when you get to that final stage senior level that so many of those players have had it so easy for so long and been so dominant yes. for so long yeah. that yeah. when they come up against everybody's that good they don't know how to handle They've lost their, their main advantage. That's, and that's kind of the Paddy Andrews example I was giving you. And then mm. we've talked in the show just this summer, obviously, about Erling Haaland, who was small and was playing against players a year or two older than him because he was just that good. And he relied solely on movement and intelligence. And then he just had the growth spurt. So, I mean, for him, it was uh, perfection. And of course, look, which brother is always the best, Nathan? Or sister, I guess, increasingly, as more and more girls play sport now. It's always the youngest because they're up against the bigger types and they're developing all the skills and then suddenly they catch them. My two younger brothers are taller than me now, which is a, a, a thrill, obviously. Um, and so uh, that's why if you can just get those uh, smaller players to hang in there, they've developed so many more skills. Mm. Uh, well, my 10-year-old may well be on his way home from football training in the car. All my children are equally talented at everything they do. <laughs> but if you had to pick one... Uh, Belgium great in paper unfortunately for them football is played on grass with reference to uh, Brian Clough and 20 minutes into a Joe Nathan news round not a lick of golf my equilibrium has been affected please address uh, before we go and we'll get to a couple more stories quickly we should mention uh, so Golf Weekly as you know if you want to get involved every single Thursday otbsports.com forward slash Golf Weekly subscribe to our Patreon but last week Potter Carrington was on and it was so good Joe you felt everyone should just get a, a little bit of this it's free just search OTB Daily and you can have the Podrick Harrington episode for free. If you want to revolute me money for that interview separately, I, I will accept. If you feel you should donate, just even as a one-off, you know, I'm more than happy to take that cash. It's fine. What else you got for us, Richie? And that's why I'll never get the BBC gig. Simon Zebo returns to the Munster wing for tomorrow's United Rugby Championship game away to Edinburgh. That sees Shane Daly switch to fullback. There are four alterations to the Munster pack with Jeremy Lockman, Niall Scannell, and John Ryan forming an all-new front row. It's a 200th cap as well for Ryan tomorrow night. Gavin Coombs starts at number eight. For their part, Edinburgh welcome back a host of internationals, including Pierre Schumann, Billy Amamata, Blair Kinghorn, Duhan van der Merve, and Darcy Graham. A moment's applause will be held for all of this weekend's URC matches in honour of the late Doddy Weir. And Edinburgh have encouraged fans attending the Dam Health Stadium tomorrow to dress in tartan to celebrate the life of the former Scotland. Uh, and there is golf uh, for most of the top players. This is their final action of the year. Shane Lowry amongst them? Yeah, six to go of his opening round at the Hero uh, World Challenge. He is currently two over par. Uh, the lead there in the Bahamas jointly held at the moment by Korea's Tom Kim and Tommy Fleetwood, both of whom are two under par. And a really good day today uh, for County Downs. Tom McKibben just three shots off the lead after the opening day of the South African Open. The County Down golfer shot a 500 round of 67, aided by a hole-in-one at the 11th. Gary Hurley is three under. He shot a 69 today, while John Murphy finished the day on two over par. Tristan Lawrence is the clubhouse leader on eight under. And as I say, McKibben's round helped by that hole-in-one at 11. All right, I see a picture of Tom McKibben, but... Uh, all vision, no sound from Tom. Uh, but he did have that hole Speechless after the hole yeah, Absolutely, Speechless. as I, well, I, I most definitely yeah. would not be. Have you had a hole in one, Joe? Never. You? Never. Never. I'm still just happy to hit the green. <laughs> God, I would. The amount of videos and photographs I would take of it if I ever managed it. You would be insufferable. Even more. Even more insufferable. Uh, we got to leave it there. Uh, Joe, enjoy your weekend. Okay, guys. See ya. Richie, thanks as always. I'll have to wipe my teeth further.